Hello and welcome to Food Focus, a podcast providing an opportunity for conversations and perspectives on issues of interest to the food system. My name is Mike Von Masso. I'm a faculty member in the Department of Food, Agriculture and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph and the OAC Chair in Food Systems Leadership. My objective is to discuss, challenge, and learn about topical issues related to food in a manner that is accessible to a broad audience. I hope you'll find this and other episodes interesting. My guest today is Dr. Keith Warner, who is a professor in the Department of Food Science at the University of Guelph, and we talk a little bit about food safety, particularly in the context of the recent Romaine food safety scares. He highlights some concerns he has with respect to the best way of ensuring food safety. He is probably a little less optimistic or positive about the uh, safety of our food system, although he will say, and you'll hear him say explicitly, that he continues to eat romaine lettuce. And we do have, in general, I would argue, a very safe food system. But he talks about some of the challenges related to trying to inspect safety into the system and also uh, using traceability or other factors to build safety into the system and says that he doesn't believe that that is the best approach. He thinks we need to be more open about some of the challenges we have, particularly with fresh produce, and perhaps introduce interventions that happen before safety becomes an issue to have an explicit, what he calls a kill step, that would further reduce the risk of safety outbreaks or issues that follow. So, with that rather long-winded introduction, I will turn it over to uh, my conversation with Keith. Hello, today's guest is uh, Dr. Keith Warner, who's a professor of food science at the University of Guelph and a leading expert in food science. So, uh, I thought we'd, uh, we'd have a conversation today about, about food safety. And I'd be remiss, I think, if we didn't start with the uh, romaine lettuce outbreak with E. coli that, that occurred recently, and, I, and I've heard you speak about it. Is it something that we should come to expect, or is this an outlier that, that happens occasionally? Well, you know, when you get the third outbreak within a year, you can't really call it um, sporadic. No, it's a definite trend. And the, you know, the reality is, is that although the romaine uh, lettuce E. coli outbreak hit the headlines big, yeah. Uh, people forget there's other outbreaks going on at the same time. Uh, we just had one with uh, cucumbers and salmonella. Didn't even register with most. Uh, and there's other outbreaks as well. There's been a few E. coli outbreaks with uh, leafy greens over in Nova Scotia and other ones in the US. And these haven't made the headlines. But what it really is is a trend, isn't it, that fresh produce is essentially a food safety risk for the simple reason there's no kill step between the field and the dinner plate and a reluctance for the industry to accept that in terms of their strategy under the fresh produce rule and the uh, leafy greens uh, marketing agreement is you can test your way to food safety and also the obsession with traceability. Either sort of strategy isn't going to stop people getting sick. Testing is like finding a needle in a haystack uh, if you can find the haystack And traceability just tells you, saying, oh, that lettuce did make you sick in the end. So in a lot of ways, um, the industry keeps going along hoping that consumers will forget about things and it goes back to normal. But if we have another outbreak in a new year with uh, romaine lettuce from Arizona, 
I think all hell will break loose. So that's what people are looking at right now. From a consumer perspective, uh, you know, I think, it, and I'm going to get back in a minute to exactly how and why this happens, but from a consumer perspective, I've always thought consumers felt pretty good about their food system. And I think what I'm hearing you say is maybe in leafy greens or in fresh vegetables, we should be a little bit cautious. I don't know. You know, I think it varies. I think consumers expect food safety regardless. And what's interesting is the trend for them to go against it. So, for example, uh, with certain products coming out, you know, people want to do clean labeling. You know, that means taking all these additives out from Cash face there. Yeah. Uh, these additives out of foods and going back to what it used to be in the good old days, natural, wholesome, organic. But the reality is uh, the reason we develop these interventions, the reason we develop food safety areas is the fact that uh, to make food safe and people have this expectation, say, well, we don't need all this sort of Frankenstein food, all this technology. So in a lot of ways, the consumer's attitude to food is that they assume it's safe or have an expectation it's safe. Yeah. And whatever they demand, uh, they can always expect safe food, even though it counters sometimes. Is it reasonable for us to expect that the food we get is safe? It's an interesting question. And uh, the obvious answer is yes, we should, yeah. isn't it? But the reality is very different. And a good example of that is with the partially cooked uh, poultry products. Yeah. So everyone knows poultry. If you take a raw piece of poultry out, you hands it like a nuclear material, don't you? You've got your own chopping board, you're obsessed with washing hands. And you'll cook it, and you'll cook it to you not have a rare sort of chicken breast. But when it comes to chicken nuggets, for example, which are partially cooked, yeah, people say, oh, well, it must be cooked, even yeah. though it says raw in big letters. So in some ways, uh, this has made the industry now have to change, you know, because they have to have a fully cooked product from uh, April next year. But you've got to say to yourself, well, there must be some part the consumer can play because the reality is uh, the consumer is responsible for a fairly few of these foodborne illness cases that we record. Um, and this sort of philosophy that's been around for 40 years in that pathogens should not reach the consumer has been limited. So I think we have to change our view on things, saying, yes, we should expect it. But there again, we have to do our part as well. It's interesting. I had a, I had dinner with a, a friend of mine over the weekend who's a physician, and she said, oh, well, I'm surprised that it's happening in fruits and vegetables. You know, I thought all of food safety issues were around meat, poultry, and and I said, for a couple of reasons, my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is food safety issues are far more frequent in fresh produce than they are in meat, and and I may be wrong, and that, you know, we can do more at home related to food safety with meat, make sure we're cooking it well, particularly ground product. 20 years ago, you could get a rare hamburger. We don't, we shouldn't see that anymore. <laughs> and and so is it a misconception that, that vegetable or produce is a higher relative risk than meat products? And that's another good question. The reality is you get more cases of foodborne illness linked to meat. Really? You know, the uh, sort of barbecue season where people cook on the outside, raw on the inside, yeah. cross-contamination. Um, yeah. There's actually a recent recall, well, a current one today even, to do with salmonella and ground beef. Yeah. Like, as you rightly said, you cook ground beef, uh, but it doesn't stop 300 people getting sick from handling it or doing cross-contamination okay. events. So the reality is is that uh, meat is still the number one cause of foodborne illness. But when we come to our outbreaks, 
Uh, that's different. That's where fresh produce leads. Okay. Because it's the way the industry is structured. So it's all centralised. 90% or 80-90% of the leafy greens come from Arizona and California. Yes. And so when you get this centralisation and you get outbreaks, they're not going to be small outbreaks. They're always going to be big outbreaks. And the other reality is, is that the fresh produce industry seems to think it's totally independent of the meat production industry. Yeah. But uh, you go down to California, you go down to Arizona, and upstream you can see feedlot farms. So cattle and leafy greens go together. And the reality is is that they are too interlinked, but fresh produce makes a particular concern for the simple reason the industry are unwilling, and I'll say unwilling, uh, to apply intervention steps to act as a firewall to, uh, for the consumer to be safe. And that's the reality of life. And so what could we do? If you were a regulator and said, well, this is unacceptable, we're seeing too much of it, what could the industry do to reduce the risk? So reality is is that so the industry and government, so they're both kind of in the same pocket, have always depended on testing and traceability. Yeah. So Frank Yannis, who's taking over now as the FDA, his obsessed with blockchain and traceability in, in that respect, it's not going to do anything. And uh, really what they don't want to do is impose sort of interventions on the industry. I liken it to the milk industry back in the 1920s, you know, where the industry said, look, we don't want pasteurization. Raw milk's good. You know, <laughs> people get sick, but who cares? Uh, and the fresh produce industry have to come to the point where they say, well, we need these interventions. We can't control contamination in the field. You know, when you've got a feedlot, just upstream from your downstream. Yeah. And so the reality is we, our research and other people's research devising interventions. And so we've developed uh, two interventions and good for us is, or good for the industry is that people are starting to apply them. Yeah. So I was in California last week where we we're looking at a process based on so advanced oxidative process, which essentially uh, generates free radicals to inactivate pathogens, leaving fresh produce the same. And they invested over $100,000 in developing this system and implementing it. And we developed ozone systems. There's obviously a radiation or e-beams, as you like that. And the other thing about it is the wash process. So even in the wash process, uh, not so long ago, the industry said, well, you just wash it off, don't you? You can wash this contamination off. And, you know, for about the last eight years, everyone knows that washing is like a a bathwater is that uh, if you're the last in the bath, uh, you're going to have the worst water, and it's exactly what happens with washing, in that it cross-contaminates. Now, we're we're devising, other people are devising, better ways to make the wash process at least so it can partially decontaminate produce and stop cross-contamination. So this argument where they say, well, there's nothing there, no interventions there, there are interventions there, but you get the same arguments from industry in that we don't want to change our process, we don't need it, Testing is good, traceability is good, but I think eventually they'll come round to it and say, like the milk industry did, you know, you need pasteurization. You cannot assure yeah. uh, safety due to the practices that they currently have. Okay, so then I'm going to finish off, you know, the, with with a question: Is there something? If I'm a consumer, if I go home and I talk to my wife who says, "Well, should we be eating lettuce at all?" The, the, the first question is, are there things that we can do at home to reduce our risk? 
That's a good question, actually. And um, there was sort of word uh, in this outbreak that lettuce should be banned. I know yeah. people say, wow, you can't ban lettuce. But the reality is there's very few nutrients in lettuce. Yes. It's mostly water, which is probably why it's uh, so prone. Uh, but everyone likes lettuce. So I think the health benefits do outweigh yeah. uh, the food safety risk. But at home, um, there's this debate saying, if you buy whole heads, are they safer than pre-packed lettuce? Yeah. And uh, the food babe went on CNN, and she said that, yes, you know, whole heads are better than processed uh, produce. And she got really damnation for it. FDA yeah. joined in even doing her. But reality is she's actually right. You know, yeah. the reality is, is that during processing, you're cutting up the lettuce for a start, opening everything up, yeah. letting pathogens get in. The wash process is just a soup of inoculation, yeah. uh, which will spread contamination. Whereas whole heads, at least, are intact, and yeah. you can remove the outer leaves. So I go with the food babe just on this one. On this one, okay. One, <laughs> uh, about that, in that whole heads is good. And yeah. when you do wash them, always wash them under running water. Don't wash pre-bagged lettuce because you're never going to do any worse than yeah. what they're doing. So you need to wash it off because of the soils and that. But the reality is, at home, we can uh, stop cross contamination. Make sure we wash our hands beforehand. And we should be fairly safe, but don't stop, like I say, steeping it in the sink and washing it with washing up liquid, which I've heard. I've heard of people putting really high amounts of bleach. Might like they're going to kill themselves rather than anything else. (laughs) So um, the thing about fresh produce is that, yes, it is safe. And when you think how many much produce, we're talking about 70 billion sort of uh, dollars worth of business going on. But the reality is, is that we do get outbreaks, but the industry has to respond to these outbreaks. There's nothing the consumer can really do. Not like meat, as you rightly said, you know, you can put a thermometer in and say, oh, it's 74. Uh, with produce, you can't really do that. So the industry has to change. You know, they really do. And um, I don't anticipate the FDA under the current leadership will change anything. I think we'll just have to have a few more outbreaks and then hopefully... But, well, I have noticed the industry is getting much more invited to look at these technologies that are being developed. So that's good news. That's good. So I'm going to, I told you that was the last question. I'm going to ask you one more because I noticed you said, wash your hands before you're washing your food, that we often are a source of contamination or what is causing contamination on produce? My perception, and, and again, relatively uninformed, is that often it happens with human contact during the picking process or the packing process someone hadn't washed their hands is that true or i heard you talk about you know animal livestock production upriver what's your perception of of the biggest risk or the source of contamination and that's a very good point when you hear about outbreaks and i saw it this uh, time round you know people say oh it's the harvesters it's these pickers you know they're yeah. unhygienic and all yeah. things like that you know the reality is you don't get that much contamination from packers Everyone really knows it's the irrigation water. Yeah. You know, uh, the reality is you go now to any of these growing places, you test irrigation water, and sure enough, you're, you test enough, you'll find E. coli 157 in it. So really what happens in a, a perfect storm, you get contaminated irrigation water, it goes on the crops very close to harvest, and then it goes to the processing plant. And typically what happens in this post-harvest wash is people say, oh, it must be pristine water. If you actually see it, it's almost like soup in lots of cases. And that makes the chlorine go down. And the chlorine prevents this cross-contamination. 
And if you look at some of the outbreaks, uh, I don't know if you recall the spinach outbreak of 2006. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that, they say, oh, feral pigs cause that. Yeah. Yeah, so it gives them an excuse to go kill pigs, doesn't it? But the reality is it was irrigation water. And when it went to the uh, post-harvest washing, they were manually doing the chlorine. So basically, someone would go with a dipstick, test it. Oh, yes, it's low. Let's pour more chlorine in. And yes, sometimes forgot it. So you get this cross-contamination event. So you get this initial contamination event, cross-contamination event. It goes to the consumer. And before you know it, you've got an outbreak. Now, in other outbreaks, uh, there has been, for example, uh, floods of raw sewage onto farmland. Yeah. And the one that makes me remind me of this one is the spring onion outbreak, which, or hepatitis A linked to spring onions from many years ago now. And that can occur. And also at food preparation, the thing is, is when we start cutting things up, you know, essentially uh, pathogens can grow on tomatoes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, think they can grow on fresh produce. So you can get this sort of, Contamination even introduced at the food service or even at home. Yeah. People put the lettuce on the countertop, it grows very well. So yeah. you get different points, but when you get outbreaks like the E. coli and romaine lettuce, you can trace it's a it big, back it's to a the big, farm. It's okay. Yeah. You're right. Well, last question. For the third time. <laughs> for the third time. When lettuce comes back on the market, will you be eating it? Well, actually, the lettuce came back on the market uh, last Monday, so a week yeah. before, because they were always warming up to yeah. that. In actual fact, I did have a Caesar salad in California last week. Yeah. They seem to be very happy with it. So the reality is is that uh, it is generally safe, uh, because what's interesting is when we get outbreaks, usually towards the end of a growing season, it's an interesting trend. So California is at the end of their growing season, hence yes. the outbreak. So they get the lettuce from Arizona now, which is at the start of their growing mm. season. But if you ask me, would I take a Caesar salad in February? I don't think so. I don't think they've solved the problem down there. There's no indication that field's been taken out, uh, or those fields have been taken out. And, you know, I just think there's going to be another outbreak, to be honest. And uh, they're sort of moved towards saying, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll grow the produce a 1,000 metres rather than 500 metres from the farm, the feedlot farm. That's not going to do anything. And they can do their testing. That's not going to do anything either. Yeah. And, you know, Frank can do his blockchain, and that's not going to do anything. So um, I think uh, it always is going to be a risk, but it, people should never get distracted from the fact it does bring more health benefits. Yes, I'm not. You know, if you want to go to the keto diet, that's good, but uh, no, keep the fresh produce going. Good. Okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, I learned something today, and that's, uh, that's something I try and do every day. And uh, looking forward to chatting again. That's always good. I'd like to thank Molly Gallant for producing the podcast and Zachary Von Masso for the music that breaks up the introduction and in the actual discussion. And I encourage you, if you're interested, to look up some of our other episodes, stay in touch. You can find them at foodfocusguelph.ca, which is a a website that includes not only the podcast, but a blog and other topics of interest in food. You can pick up other episodes of the podcast there, as well as iTunes and other places that you find podcasts. I hope you will come back and listen again.